Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, I'm sharing the second part of my recent conversations with my good friend Brandon Tumblin, the host of the Strong Stoic Podcast. Brandon has been on the podcast multiple times, and today we focus on the wisdom of Dostoevsky. Brandon has an upcoming talk on Dostoevsky for the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, which I highly encourage you to check out. You can sign up at thewalledgarden.com. Brandon's talk is actually scheduled for later today, 14 July at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. It's completely free and delivered live over Zoom. In the conversation, Brandon and I discuss why Dostoevsky is a resource for wisdom. We discuss some of his notable works and where to start, how Dostoevsky might define wisdom. We touch on happiness, responsibility, and much more. Without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Brandon Tumblin. Brandon, I am excited to chat with you about the wisdom of Dostoevsky. So I, we haven't uh, necessarily focused specifically on him from a wisdom perspective. So I'm excited to connect as always and, and chat a bit. Yeah, man, I'm always happy to talk with you and uh, always happy to talk about Dostoevsky. I know we both share a passion for his writing and his ideas and uh, always happy to, to chat with a friend, man. Well, good stuff. I am grateful for the time. And you've got a talk coming up that you're giving on Dostoevsky that we'll talk about in a bit. But before we get too far into it, I'm curious to go back to the beginning. When did you first discover his his writing? So I actually heard about Dostoevsky first through Jordan Peterson. So Jordan Peterson, he talks quite a bit, clinical psychologist, he talks quite a bit about, about suffering and and uh, he's a psychologist, of course. So he's he's been fascinated with the work of Dostoevsky. And, and Dostoevsky, I mean, he's written several masterpieces, just unbelievably deep works of fiction, so much to the point where psychologists actually use it as uh, as, as teaching resources. Like it's, it's fascinating to me that a fiction writer can get that deep that a psychologist would look at it and, and use it to explain certain concepts and so i actually learned about dostoevsky through jordan peterson and um was reluctant to pick up his books for a while for no other reason than i didn't know him you know you hear a name sometimes and (laughs) if you haven't done your research you think oh well you know i i already have enough books to read kind of thing but uh eventually I, i did actually pick it up and and i went really on a Dostoevsky binge like I, I read all of his books within the course of I think six months and was just just blown away by the amount of depth and I, I still think back to those books on a regular basis to try and you know extract out some of those lessons just because of the psychological depth of it but let me ask if you know there's somebody listening obviously this is in search of wisdom there's there's people out there that are on the path to searching for wisdom 
if you can distill it down, it may be difficult to do. You know, why is Dostoevsky an important resource for someone searching for wisdom? Hmm. I would say that for me personally, and, you know, I've heard others that have read him to feel the same way, that he seems to be able to do this thing that's unparalleled. I've never seen anyone do this as well as he has where he's a fiction writer. So he introduces a character and he introduces complexity. So there's, there's, there's lots in there. It's not just a simple character. It's very, very complex characters. And what he does is he brings in a character and he gets you to kind of both love him and hate him or her. Right. So there's this sort of love, hate appreciation uh, and distaste, I suppose, for these characters and lots of authors can do that, right? I'm not saying that's unique to him, but what he does more than what he does more than anyone is he makes you relate to those characters. So, and this is what draws me in. Dostoevsky for me, you know, we talk about Carl Jung and the idea of the shadow and the darkness, which we, you and I speak quite a bit about. He puts me in tune with my own darkness more than anyone else. Like you, you read about these characters and you say, like, God damn, that's a, that's a terrible person. Like these are terrible thoughts. But then you realize, oh shit, I've actually thought those thoughts. I've actually had these sort of contemplations. And that to me, I think, not to say that he's the only one that does that as an author, but in my opinion, unparalleled that he can do that, bring you to both, you know, feel a bit of, you know, bad feelings towards a character, but also get you to relate to him. That's very hard to do because you, you never want to see your own darkness, but he seems to be able to do that for me. As I said earlier, you've got a, a talk coming up for the, the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, one of their meetups. Is it possible to give us a, a brief teaser of the talk and, and maybe share for any listeners that are interested the, the when and the where? Yeah, sure. So I basically want to just basically talk about some of his most profound philosophical ideas. So his books are very long uh, and, and very deep. But what I'd like to do is sort of extract out, I guess, the main teachings from him. And really, I want to, I mean, so if you if you were to put him in a category, he's probably an existentialist. Uh, of course, we're all sort of a mixed bag of everything, right? We're all partly stoic, partly Christian, partly existentialist, probably partly nihilist too. But if you were to put him in a box, he'd probably be an existentialist. But there's a huge amount of overlap with stoicism, which I like. And so I suppose in the talk, what I want to do is, first of all, set the tone that even though I, I may, you know, I have the strong stoic podcast, that doesn't mean I only follow Seneca and Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. You know, I, I love learning from all kinds of people. And also to illustrate that there's a lot more overlap in these philosophies than I think we give credit for. And that as much as maybe we want to feel like, you know, stoicism is special to me, maybe it is special to you, but I think there is a lot of significant overlap in, in these philosophies. And so what I want to do is, is use his perspective and his philosophy and I suppose shine a light on some of the parts of stoicism and, and really figure out what that overlap is. And it's going to be an exploratory talk for me. I'm going to have some talking points prepared, but I'm really hoping to just kind of, you know, kind of just let the, let the conversation with my, myself, I suppose, <laughs> flow 
and, and see where it goes because the, um, the overlap between his philosophy and stoicism is, is really fascinating to me. So it, I, I suppose that's kind of where I'm heading with that talk. And in terms of date and time, it's going to be um, next uh, Thursday, which is, what is that, the 14th, uh, 3 p.m. GMT. And that's all available on, uh, on my, um, my social medias and on the Wall Garden events. Awesome. Well, we'll throw a link in the uh, in the show notes for it for for listeners that want to check it out. But I I highly encourage it. It could be even for someone that is new to Dostoevsky. This could be a great introduction, you know, an on ramp to to really exploring some of his writing. In known as as one of the greatest writers of all time. But as, as you said, you know you went on a, a six month binge, you know, for someone listening that hasn't ever picked up any of his writing, do you recommend a particular starting point? Does it, does it matter? I would say that he's, he's intimidating as an author because his books are so long and, uh, and deep. So what I would actually recommend people start with, uh, and you and I have spoke about this book, extensively but the underground man uh and the reason i picked that one in particular is because it's pretty short it's it's uncharacteristically short for dostoevsky it's it's less than 100 pages so you can get through it pretty quick he still brings the depth of psychology to that book and he still does that same thing i was talking about where he gets you to love and hate a character and also somehow relate to him uh, and so I would start with The Underground Man. I think it's it's a great book. And as a as a backup to that, again, you and I have recorded several episodes. We bring it into uh, to our discussion <laughs> frequently. And so that's a great starting point, The Underground Man. Uh, and then you can sort of uh, take off from there. Crime and Punishment is another classic. And, uh, and if, if you're ambitious, The Brothers Karamazov. Love it. And, and I've got a quote here, which I think is from The, the Underground Man. But it says, man is sometimes extraordinarily passionately in love with suffering. And you talked about, you know, he's often categorized as an existentialist. These philosophers that are, are big into responsibility and finding meaning in, in life. But he says here, you know, we're in love with suffering. Like, is there any truth there? What do, what do you think to speculate? What do you think he, he means there? I think there's a dual meaning to that. I would say that there's the, you know, to take the positive note first, we're in love with suffering because it provides us meaning in life uh, when it's taken on voluntarily. So there, there's this age-old wisdom that life is suffering, period. Life is suffering, period. And religions for a very long time have dealt with that fact by saying, well, the antidote to that suffering is to adopt responsibility, to, to adopt it voluntarily. So you see that with Christ, right? He, he, he willingly bears his cross. He willingly, he, knowing his death is coming, knowing he will be betrayed by his best friend, knowing he will be crucified, knowing he will be chosen to uh, to be executed in place of a criminal that they could have also persecuted right like this this terrible terrible fate i mean the most tragic story is, is of christ and 
and he takes it on voluntarily. That's, that's what makes him the ultimate hero. And so I think one meaning of that is the antidote to suffering is adopting it voluntarily. At the same time, there's another meaning to that, which is there's some suffering that we want to reduce. We want to reduce unnecessary suffering, of course, right? And you talk about, you know, we, we've also spoken quite a bit about beating yourself up about things that you've done in the past. And I think you and I are pretty pretty self-critical, sometimes too, too much so. And I think there's an addiction to that as well. You know, there's an addiction to that because we're never perfect and we always miss the mark, right? Like as, as much as you want to be the perfect stoic or the perfect person, you're never going to be. And so what I think happens is you go through life, you have a goal, you make progress, but then you make mistakes. And then what happens? Well, you made a mistake and now you want to beat yourself up over that. And you want to really, to put it philosophically, you want to inflict suffering on yourself. That's really what beating yourself up about it is. Um, and so I think that there's a dual meaning to that. There's a love for it because it's the antidote to suffering, which is sort of paradoxical. But there's also, sometimes we're just addicted to beating ourselves up because of our imperfections. There's there's another quote that I have here, which is probably my favorite. And you you really kind of just said it of the greatest happiness is to know the source of unhappiness of just, I love how practical that is sometimes to just think like, what is it that's causing suffering? Identifying it. Oftentimes we can simply just stop doing that or really minimize the amount of doing that, uh, uh, you know, that we're doing that. Some things might be unavoidable, but we do have, it seems a lot of agency in some of these things, but I don't know. There is some, some truth to that and complexity and depth of, you know, this in love with suffering. I I wonder sometimes, even if we identify what is the source of unhappiness, for some reason we still keep it around. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, I mean, there is sort of this, I mean, really, when you know the source of unhappiness, the implication there is that you can alleviate it at its source. To use a gym example, if there's a particular exercise that you're doing wrong, and you figure out why you're doing it wrong, you can become happy about that because now you can do it right. And now you can alleviate that unnecessary suffering. So, and really what this is, he wouldn't use these terms exactly but it's it's wisdom it's wisdom right it's it's knowing the source of unhappiness and i think you know it's also you know when you're dealing with something when you're upset about something and you know you shouldn't be upset about it but you don't know why you're trying to figure it out and you dig deep and you dig deep and you journal and you reflect on it maybe for years, maybe for a decade, depends how complex these things are. But then when you finally find out what that is, for example, I don't know, I have trauma from my childhood because of something that my aunt used to tease me about a little bit too harshly, something like that. As soon as you can trace back that uncomfortable feeling, that unhappiness to the source it's sort, it's sort of an antidote to that because then when you start to feel that, you know, you, you know the source of it. And so you can recognize that, okay, this isn't objectively making me happy. This is subjectively making me happy. And this is the reason why. 
And with that clarity, what you can do is maybe not necessarily just, you know, control alt delete, but, but what you can certainly do over time is get better at tracing that back to the source and then neutralizing it, or at least minimizing the, the negative effects. I mean, sometimes you're just in a bad mood, right? And we all know how that mm-hmm. feels, but, but if you do recognize where that source, where it's coming from, I think over time you can learn to, to really just, uh, neutralize it. Yeah, I, it's definitely, um, as you can probably guess, I, I think wisdom comes in so often, or you might even substitute it for discernment. You're discerning it, you're identifying it, but then there's a discernment of which particular path to take. But the, the gym example that you mentioned, even not going to the gym could be that cause of suffering. It's like mm. not going. And you you mentioned maybe something unpleasant happening in your past or even, you know, not going to the gym. You could I guess I, I don't I almost want to say play the victim of make these excuses or you know, I work too much, I this and that. You can kind of rationalize why that's happening, causing more suffering. Isn't that where this responsibility comes into play? Where it's whatever it may be, the responsibility is required to essentially stand up straight and navigate navigate through that. Like, I don't know, could you say any any more of of how, how responsibility comes into play in daily life and maybe some of our mundane tasks? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll use an example from work. Um, you know, in general, the best thing you can assume in work is that everything that goes wrong is your own damn fault. And the, the problem with that is that it's not entirely true, but it's partially true. And this is another idea that Dostoevsky talked about. You know, he said before paraphrasing, of course, but he said something like before you criticize the criminal, you better look your own damn self in the mirror and make sure that you're perfect. Because if I was perfect, maybe the criminal wouldn't have to commit a crime. And, you know, that idea, that idea that it's sort of, the opposite in, of, of one of the main tenets in Stoicism, though I think this this gets overlooked quite a bit in terms of the complexity of it, but sort of the dichotomy of control, right? Where in my control, outside of my control kind of thing. And Dostoevsky would say something more like, well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, sure, you're in control of your own actions, but don't be so naive to think that your actions has no effect on the world around you. Don't be so naive to think that if you're not perfect or that if you are perfect or whatever you're bringing to the world that that has no effect on everything around you just because it might not be ultimately within your control doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's out of your responsibility and to to give a great example is if you go to someone in the street and you're rude to them you say something very very rude call them an idiot for no reason it's not as simple as saying well his response is now out of my control because guess what, (laughs) what you said actually does affect, it does certainly influence the other person. Uh, And so obviously in stoicism, it's, it's 
that dichotomy of control is taken with the presupposition that you are going to be a virtuous person, that you're aiming towards that. And I think that's what some people miss. But, but yeah, certainly this, this, this idea that, um, that taking responsibility for everything, Jocko Willink would call this extreme ownership. I think that's that's ultimately uh, you know the, the philosophy that Dostoevsky would would promote, and and also I think I think my interpretation of Stoicism is that it's the same philosophy that 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 would promote as well. This idea of everything I do matters, and everything I don't do matters. That's a burden. That's the thing with responsibility. It's a damn burden because everything you freaking do matters, right? Is it just a burden though? I mean, couldn't it be a, I don't know, some of the existential stuff and, 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 you know, the stoic wisdom as well. It could be perceived that way. And, and that makes sense as well, but it's also, you're coming from this idea of I'm responsible. There's also agency with that. So it's, it's this inspiring thing that you have control over taking responsibility, bearing your cross, navigating the particular path. Um, now, uh, like along the way, there are obviously things that happen in life that we're not responsible for that are categorically unpleasant. But then there's that common phrase of, yeah, you're not responsible for what happened, but you're 100% responsible for how you move forward from this point, which is a a difficult thing. But I don't know, can it be this burden? Can it be an inspiring thing? Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that's, that's why uh, I think it's ultimately what I personally promote. I mean, I, I promote, I promote taking on responsibility as much as you possibly can because I do think that it's ultimately how you deal with the suffering that's inherent to life. You know, that's, that's certainly, that's certainly it. You know, and Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this very simply and, and just perfectly. And this is really a stoic idea too. He said, the goal of life is not to be happy. It's to be useful. And, uh, and that's it. Like, that's exactly what you're talking about there being Love useful and, and, and being useful is a burden because guess what? You have to do things. You have to carry a load, but that is the purpose of life fundamentally. Yeah. It, I, I love the idea of freedom and responsibility of these, these two poles, which many of the existentialists have, have talked about, but, um, Victor Frankel in an edition of Man's Search to Meaning talks about it in was an an advocate for this statue of responsibility in the in the West Coast in uh, in America. There's this uh, organization that is already just basically have been for the last decade or so raising money. They already have a a design and a sculptor for this statue of responsibility in tandem with obviously the statue of liberty you need both responsibility and freedom they can't exist um one without the other but let me ask 
if there's any particular quotes that that come to mind um you know and and i guess maybe a two-part question as we as we start to to wrap up here we're just having a, a quick chat on it but how do you think dostoevsky might define or think about wisdom this question that we've talked about i asked many guests um you know if we could speculate and there's anything that maybe comes to mind there as well probably my favorite quote is this this one um i think it's from crime and punishment but it's basically something like above all else don't lie to yourself because if you lie to yourself eventually you're not going to be able to tell the difference between truth and falsehood. That's paraphrased, of course, but, but there's a lot of depth to that. And there's, there's, I mean, you know, this, this idea of lying to yourself, I mean, Jesus, we lie to ourselves all the time about things, about what we like, about what we don't like, about who we like, about how we feel about our emotions in that particular moment. And, Lying is not good, period. You know, if I lie to you, that's not good. Certainly not good. But it's interesting that he said specifically, above all else, do not lie to yourself. Because a dangerous person is one who lies. But an even more dangerous person is one who lies and doesn't know they are lying. And then as an extension of that, well, I mean, if you don't know, if you're, if you've, lived in deception for so long that you cannot tell the difference between truth and falsehood, then no matter what your goal is, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the, I think Seneca said this, no matter if you don't know where you're sailing, <laughs> no wind's going to get you there kind of thing, right? It's kind of that same idea. Like if, if you cannot, if you can no longer tell the difference between truth and falsehood, I mean, there's no telling where you're going to go. And the amount of destruction that that can ultimately create it's just completely unpredictable. I mean, if, he, if I know John is a liar, well, I can avoid John. But <laughs> if John is so far gone that he can no longer tell the difference between truth and falsehood, and I, and I have no idea what's going on in his head, I mean, that's a dangerous person. And, and to be John, I mean, eventually you're going to wake up in a place where you have no idea where you are and you have no idea where you how you've gotten there. And I think that's the danger of, of lying to yourself. So it's, uh, it opens the question of how do you know? And I, I, I think it's a combination of deep reflection, but also having people around you that's willing to tell you the truth so that you can kind of figure it out over time and break down your own self-deception Man, I think that so connects with something we've talked about, probably every conversation we've connected, where we we get into something about our own mistakes, like navigating life, our own shortcomings and mistakes. It's I completely agree that we lie to ourselves in a certain way all the time, like every time we rationalize something, where it, you know, Seneca talking about like, why should I fear my own mistakes, these shortcomings, mistake after mistake, when I can admonish and forgive myself and, you know, let it go and move on. It's like, why do we, if if, if we have a port picked and we, we veer off course, 
we want to rationalize, it seems like, that action. You know, we, we, we come up with these things and we don't take complete responsibility for it. But sometimes if, if we're not able to make mistakes, what other choice do we have? You know, if we see our, our thing of, if we see veering off course as some sort of, it says something more about us than it actually needs to be, it makes it very difficult for us to just take responsibility, gently get ourselves back on course, and keep this thing moving. I don't know, that's what I was thinking about as you were explaining that. I think it's just so important yeah. how, yeah, we rationalize every day i'll speak for myself it's, yeah. it's so easy to do and but we can catch ourselves and get back in that place of a bit of forgiveness take responsibility and just step forward you know it is easy to catch ourselves if we're mindful of it i think as well yeah but you but you don't want to right like that's the i i just had a situation <laughs> like this at, at work uh so it's pretty fresh in my mind but yeah there's something i was supposed to do at a particular time. And I knew that if I didn't do it, someone else would do it. So I knew like the sky wasn't going to fall out. And I was just so drained, so exhausted from work. And I just, I just didn't have the motivation. And so I didn't do it regardless of whether or not they survive without me. It doesn't matter. I didn't do what I was supposed to do period. And so I started rationalizing it, started lying to myself, right? Well, <laughs> You know, they can do it on their own, even though I said I can do it. Well, I'm tired. Well, I'm exhausted. Well, this, well, that. It took me like three days to really realize, no, 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 no. That, that was wrong. I, I shouldn't, I should have went and done that regardless of how I felt. Or I should have at least told them that I, w I couldn't do it that night. Should have owned it. And then, and now, you know, I, I've owned it, but. But yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, you so even though I'm so dedicated to truth, and I know you are as well, still catch yourself lying to yourself on a regular basis. You know, and you don't you don't want to you don't want to think that you don't want to think that maybe I made a mistake. You don't want to think that maybe I'm lying to myself because now that's two things you did wrong. Um, so never ends, man. The journey never ends. I love it. But what do you think in, in terms of, of, of wisdom? You know, how might Dostoevsky think about wisdom today? Oh, that's such a, such a great question, man. And you know what? You, you, uh, we spoke about this before, and you kind of um, mentioned that, you know, maybe we'll talk about what Dostoevsky would think of wisdom. And I've been thinking about it for well, most of today. I really don't know, man. Like, I, I think if he were to say anything, like, what is wisdom in and of itself? You know, I think he would really get down to know the source of your evil. You know, and it's, it sounds more like a Jungian idea. And, and I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of reaching into the unknown here because, to my knowledge, he's never specifically divine, defined wisdom, but but just looking at his work, just looking at how he delves deep into dark psychology and also the light, also the good. But so maybe, maybe it's something more like know your darkness and your light. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I love it. 
I think that's how he would define wisdom. I really like the idea of this light and, and dark of Dostoevsky, which I, I think is somewhat part of the title of your of the talk you're giving. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I want to pull up one one last thing before we wrap up. And again, I'm super grateful for you taking the time to to give a give a chat and connect. And it's it it sounds like a bit of a more fati this particular quote um you know something nietzsche said but the quote is only to live to live and to live life whatever it may be it's like we're constantly sometimes wanting it to be different than it is you know it's like the dark we don't even really want that to exist but it's the light and dark it's you know to live life take responsibility navigate our way down the path whatever it may be you know i think it's a a beautiful thing and um i'm glad we were able to to have a quick chat about the wisdom of of dostoevsky uh i know some of the listeners have have heard you many times but there might be some listeners that are new to the show not familiar with you would you mind um you know, plug in your podcast and a little bit about what you're up to in the world? Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is the Strong Stoic Podcast. Uh, basically, normally 20-minute reflections on certain ideas. I try and go pretty deep with it. Um, all kinds of stuff. A lot of Stoic topics, a lot of bringing a lot of Christianity, a lot of fiction, uh, modern science as I understand it. And I also have guests on, like like your good self, who uh, obviously I'm a I'm a huge fan of you and your work, and you know we've become friends over over the past uh, year or two now. And um, so I have guests on, talk about all kinds of deep philosophical ideas. The Strong Stoic podcast. I'm also involved in the Wall Garden, which I should probably mention as well. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a director there and a philosopher on there and, and a contributor. So actually, the Strong Stoic is now a, a part of the Wall Garden network of podcasts. So were uh, officially associated so yeah check me out there i mean instagram twitter pretty active on instagram also on telegram have a group chat on there uh which is good discussion going on there so i i love hearing from people try and get to every message i get and so yeah i'd love love to hear from you nice well i appreciate that and and again brandon does these deep dives lots of episodes every tuesday and thursday a 20-minute deep dive that is really focused and, uh, you know, I, I love many of the episodes that you do. So I highly encourage the the listeners to check it out, listen to one, and I, I think you'll be a subscriber and a, and a long-time listener. So thanks so much, man. Hey, I really appreciate you coming coming back on In Search of Wisdom. Hey, man, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.